It's August 30th, 2021, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on the show, Walmart is launching a local delivery service. Urban Outfitters is launching a secondhand clothing marketplace. And our last story, why is Amazon investing in department stores? Finally, we finish the show with our Investor Minute, which contains six items this week from the world of venture capital, private equity, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, is Macy's turnaround strategy working? Early 2020, Macy's announced a new strategy they named Polaris, designed to turn around the business. This is a multi-pronged strategy focused on an improved loyalty program, plans to build four separate billion-dollar private label brands, moving Macy's.com headquarters from San Francisco to New York, and of course, the obligatory reorganization and shuttering of stores. The big headline here is private label. Nothing else is all that interesting. What happened after this strategy announcement? Well, in the unfortunate world we live in, the pandemic hit, and in March last year, they put the whole thing on pause. In February this year, Macy's updated its Polaris strategy, mostly moving the goalposts. Polaris is now about expanding digital and its backstage business. Macy's did announce that 25% of its sales in Q4 2020 were fulfilled by stores also, but I predict they will struggle to make the kind of changes that Target made to move their stores from 30 to 95%. So what's an embattled company to do after muddling through the pandemic? In August 2021, Macy's now says that Polaris is working. Well, of course, digital is accelerating everywhere. This hides the simple fact that Macy's stores are still losing market share, according to retail analysts. As a department store business, no amount of digital acceleration will change the fact that if Macy's does not completely reinvent its store experience, it will not succeed. Macy's cannot out Amazon, Amazon online. Oh, and one more thing. Most of Macy's changes are designed to improve its cash flow position by paying down debt early and accelerating drop shipping. Dropshipping is the practice of allowing suppliers to ship to consumers instead of Macy's. However, dropshipping does not always promote the best customer experience. Who wants to get separate boxes from three different vendors for a single order? At the same time, Macy's has reduced its commitments to buy products in bulk from its suppliers, instead settling on a smaller buy model with the rest dropshipped. While if Macy's isn't going to invest in these brands, those same brands may as well invest in themselves. Remember, Brands would prefer the sale occurs on their own website anyway because the sale is about five times more valuable from a valuation and customer ownership perspective. Which leads me to think, how ironic would it be that if Macy's may be unwittingly accelerating the direct-to-consumer revolution as a byproduct of easing its own cash flow challenges? Our second story, Walmart is launching a local delivery service. Walmart's investment strategy continues as it announced a new delivery service called Go Local. Here are some facts from their press release. Walmart wants to deliver anything locally from baked goods to auto parts, the company says. It mentions the use of drones and autonomous vehicles. Apparently, the program is already in testing with several merchants. Here are a few points and comments. One, it kind of feels like they took the target acquisition of Shipped four years ago, by the way, and buzzworded up the release. Not to mention if you put baked goods and auto parts in the same truck together, both will end up ruined. Two, what is Walmart doing differently than other companies? It's certainly not autonomous vehicles and drones. Unfortunately, I didn't see a unique selling proposition mentioned in the release. I sat thinking about this for some time and here's the best I could come up with. According to data I've read, 90% of the United States population is within 10 miles of a Walmart store. 
If local delivery routes are already running, Walmart is able to offer last mile services at lower marginal cost than most other providers, perhaps with better service. Plus, if the service is not Walmart branded, sometimes known as white label, the brand may get to own the customer as opposed to someone like Instacart. Why didn't Walmart just say that in the release? Which brings me to my final point. With a billion plus in venture capital flowing into supply chain solutions, what is the investment thesis that prompted Walmart to say, oh, fulfillment services, low margin, capital intensive, but also hyper competitive? Give me more of that red ocean strategy. Blue oceans are for losers. Our third story Urban Outfitters is launching a secondhand clothing marketplace. News reports say that the company is expanding on its newly concept, which originally launched as a subscription clothing rental service in 2019. This new venture, which they're calling Newly Thrift, takes advantage of a few facts. One, secondhand clothing and the circular economy exploding with investments, including the growth of marketplaces like Poshmark and ThreadUp, not to mention Etsy's new acquisition, Depop. Second, the Urban Outfitters customer is shopping at these sites anyway, so why not participate in the space? The original newly rental service declined, of course, in COVID, but reports say they have recovered to higher than pre COVID numbers, which means the brand definitely has legs. Third, I couldn't help but notice that unlike other companies, the president of Newly is actually Urban Outfitters' chief technology officer. This is quite unique. As a credit to the company, Urban Outfitters seems to be able to build technology better than 90% of retailers. So, what's the red flag? Execution. My chief concern, if there is one, is that in house innovation within a retailer is notoriously difficult and often talent and cash strapped relative to a separately funded venture. That could lead to shortcuts in the customer experience. With so many market alternatives, that experience needs to be silky smooth for newly to gain traction. And our last story why is Amazon investing in department stores? By far the biggest news in the past two weeks has been the Wall Street Journal article that Amazon is opening new department stores in Ohio and California, among other areas. Quoted sources highlighted three reasons for the expansion. One, Amazon will be able to showcase its own products and brands, including private label apparel, electronics, and household items. Two, consumers will get instant gratification because they won't have to wait for products to ship. Three, Amazon will be able to glean new types of customer data and innovate on the physical retail experience. That's what they're up to. Why are they doing this? Consumer data is the first major reason. When you walk into an Amazon store, you'll be walking to a giant fishbowl where you are the fish and Amazon is watching from behind the glass. What are they watching exactly? Well, how you shop, how you respond to their merchandising, promotions, what you pick up, and pretty much anything else you can look at because they can actually track your gaze. Why would Amazon need such a volume of data? Not only will it help make their private label brand successful, it would also help their growing advertising business. Remember, the foundation of any advertising business is a complex data model of the consumer and their behavior. Amazon has been building this for some time with their purchase behavior online. However, it's getting harder and harder to track users online. If Amazon wants to ultimately challenge Facebook and Google in their advertising space, it needs unique data that these companies can't access. Another reason to open up new stores has to do with returns. Ease of returns and getting a replacement item has always been one source of friction in making an online purchase in the first place, and is one of the reasons Zappos thrived in early years with its liberal return policies, which prompted Amazon to acquire them. Returns is also one area where Amazon has traditionally had a huge disadvantage, and here's why 
90% of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of a Walmart, as I said before. 75% of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of a Target store. If you want to return something in person, you will also likely be able to pick up a replacement for that item in addition to several more items. No matter how good your online post-purchase experience is, it's not as good as being in a store because your chance to upsell is much greater. And that's before we get to waste in the circular economy. And I'll admit, I can't comprehend Amazon scale, but let's do some quick math. Google just told me that Amazon ships 2.5 billion parcels per year, billion with a B. It also told me Amazon's return rates average between 5% and 15%, although higher in some categories, I'm sure. Even using 10%, that's 150 million new parcels going back in the other direction every year. Packaging, trucks, drivers, and pollution. Amazon scale shipping creates Amazon scale waste. Stores could eliminate most of that by streamlining returns. Now let's talk about fulfillment. Target has already led the way in the United States showing the world how to properly fulfill from stores. 95% of their digital orders flow through their store network, either through gig workers, home delivery, curbside pickup, or pickup in store. More importantly, an item picked up in store and shipped from store is 30% to 60% cheaper than shipping from a central facility because of the inventory is already closer to the consumer. This is savings that Amazon cannot take advantage of today. Now, you might think Amazon might have to learn all sorts of new things to restock a store that might be different than what it does for its online business today, but I don't believe so. Amazon, with one of the largest distribution networks in the United States, routinely ships not only individual parcels to consumers, but also ships pallets of merchandise around between facilities in order to forward position product closer to the consumer. Which makes me think, Amazon is used to being the leader. Isn't it ironic to know that Amazon is following the footsteps of a retailer like Target by adding these stores as nodes to a fulfillment network? This is one time where Amazon may actually be playing catch up. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have six items on the menu today. Item one, e-commerce content management provider Webany raised $3.5 million from Microsoft's venture fund. Content management systems organize and power all marketing and creative assets for promotions and other content on a website. Item two, headless e-commerce platform provider Nacelle raised $50 million to take on the market. Wondering what headless commerce is? The proverbial head of a website is a user experience on the front end, which is disconnected from the content and operations engine for the website, which I guess would be the tail. A headless approach attempts to create flexibility for brands as they built out their infrastructure. Item three, D1 Brands is the newest Amazon aggregator to raise $123 million. These Amazon aggregators are a new phenomenon in the last couple of years, and they attempt to gain scale by leveraging cost savings due to operational and marketing efficiencies all while taking advantage of the Amazon real estate a brand theoretically owns, but actually rents from a notoriously fickle landlord. There are well over 100 aggregators now, so this is a massive trend. Item four, brand holding company AKA Brands filed their S1 to take itself public. What they do is buy and grow direct-to-consumer fashion brands like an Amazon aggregator, but only for direct-to-consumer businesses. This is another way investors are taking advantage of the growth in the e-commerce. Item five, Last mile robotic delivery firm Coco raised $36 million to support its goals. The company is currently operating in Los Angeles, but plans to expand to several additional cities with this new funding. Their robots frankly look like little Yeti coolers on wheels. My advice to you if your cooler starts moving is leave the area immediately. 
And finally, Warby Parker files its S1 towards an eventual IPO today. Hooray! One of the original direct-to-consumers brands is going public. Looking at their S1, you pull out a quick fact that two-thirds of their pre-COVID sales were actually from stores. Take that, e-commerce. One more thing. Some listeners know that I'm also prolific on LinkedIn. I wanted to relay a hilarious LinkedIn comment I received this week. Ben Nolan wrote, You are literally only person on LinkedIn that writes anything of interest. Please don't post a picture of your dog, post a survey, or write inspirational posts using an image of a wolf pack. Just keep doing what you're doing. Ben, thanks for your comment. I think you have zero worries about me posting a picture of a wolf pack anytime soon. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.